This is episode 175 with physical therapist and author of Anatomy for Runners and Running Rewired, an expert in biomechanics and creator of the MOBO board, Mr. Jay DeSherry. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fitzgerald, and the episode you're about to listen to features the author of some of my favorite books for runners, Mr. Jay DeSherry. You're going to learn about the physical skills that are needed to stay healthy and prevent your next big running injury. Jay is one of the foremost physical therapists and injury specialists in the country, and I can't wait to bring you this conversation. But before we start, I want to make sure we're all running in the same lane here. On this show, you can expect conversations between me and the thought leaders in the running industry, the coaches, performance experts, physical therapists, psychologists, elite athletes, registered dietitians, all who can help you elevate your performance. While you have to do the work, my goal is to show you the most strategic ways to do that work, to work smarter and more productively so you can take your running to new heights. Because when you better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll make better decisions about your training, leading to more effective running, fewer injuries, and faster races. Don't miss all of our other resources that can help you bring your running to the next level. We have a video channel at youtube.com strengthrunning, where I answer your questions, show you effective strength and core routines, and talk through some of your most pressing training issues. And of course, our home base is strengthrunning.com. For more than 10 years, we've been helping runners level up their training, race faster, prevent more injuries, and get stronger. You'll find our award-winning blog, our free email courses, and the full library of training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, Inside Tracker, a company that helps endurance athletes like you and I optimize our training after taking a simple blood test. I'm a customer myself, and I really love their science-based approach. I think this is one of those investments that actually is an investment, one that actually makes you into a better runner. You can figure out if you're overtraining or maybe even undertraining so that you can train more effectively. Use code STRENGTHRUNNING with no space to save 10% on any of their blood testing kits at insidetracker.com. Our guest today is a man of many talents, Mr. Jay DeSherry. He's a physical therapist who rose to prominence as an expert in biomechanical analysis as director of the Speed Clinic at the University of Virginia. He's written two books that I think are some of the best out there, Anatomy for Runners and Running Rewired. He also consults for several footwear companies, the U.S. Air Force, and USA Track and Field. Most recently, he's the creator and founder of MoboBoard, an innovative foot stability tool that you can learn more about at moboboard.com. During our discussion today, we're going to talk about the four skills that Jay deems absolutely necessary for healthy, pain-free running. Those are postural control, rotational stability, hip dominance, and individual skeletal alignment. We go into detail on all of these, talking about what they are, why they're important, and how to build these skills into your training. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Mr. Jay DeSherry. Jay, it's so great to be speaking with you today. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jason. It's a pleasure. Yes. Well, it is not every day that I get to talk with someone who 
I think is one of the clearest thinkers about why runners get hurt and how to prevent those injuries. So I'm pretty excited. And, you know, your books, uh, Anatomy for Runners and Running Rewired are two that I recommend all the time. I find myself referencing them constantly. So uh, let's get into it. Let's help runners stay healthy and run faster. I'm in. (laughs) I I thought it would be helpful to start with the four skills that you mentioned in your book, Running Rewired for healthy, pain-free running. And these skills are postural control, rotational stability, hip dominance, and individual skeletal alignment. So maybe we can start with postural control here. What is, how do you define this and and why is it important? For sure. So, you know, I think that some people, when they hear the word posture, they have, you know, visions of their mom yelling at them to stop slumping when they were 12, you know, and that's not what we're talking about. Posture is basically the ability to hold yourself in your best alignment, not just for one second when you're standing in front of your mom, but to do that for a mile after mile, right? And, you know, every single person has seen themselves get tired as we train. That just happens, right? And, and it's not going to stop happening, but you want to prepare for that, right? So, you know, if, you've, if you're somebody who finds that your posture alignment shifts, right? So example I use all the time is... You know, we have like a, a better alignment, which we'll talk about, but then we can also get what I call backseat running position, right? Where you, people tend to arch your lumbar spine uh, and the shoulders slump forward. And when you're in that position, one, it's really hard to breathe that position. And two, you just put yourself in a position to increase uh, loads on the knee and the ankle quite dramatically, right? So we want to avoid those positions. And then also you have some runners when they get tired, they actually tend to slump forward, right? And in one of my books, I, I made the, the, the dumb joke, it's called the toilet bowl of doom. But you know, if you're running in that kind of forward slump position, you force yourself into an overstride. And one of the things we always talk about from form work is to you know eliminate uh, you know, contacting too far in front of your body as you run. And so when you adopt that position, you, you force your body to, you know, to get overloaded. So if you can maintain a better posture alignment as you're running, um, that is a huge aspect of one, improving uh, your efficiency, right? Because you're putting your joints in a better position and you're decreasing the mechanical loading of your joints. Um, and I think that, you know, if I said, hey, would you like to, you know, find a way to run that puts less stress in your body and helps you feel more relaxed and breathe easier as you run? Like most people would put their hands up and say, yes, I'd like that. So um, Um, it's really, yeah, (laughs) so it's important. So if if you don't mind, I want to just kind of guide through people through this. I do this all the time and it's so, it's, it's never overdone. Um, If, if you find yourself listening to this right now where you can do me a favor and just stand up, and all I want you to do is just stand up and relax and think about where do you feel weight on your feet. If you feel it mostly evenly split between the heel of your foot and the ball of your foot, that's awesome. And then what I want you to do is I want you to stand on one leg and you should still have that center, of, uh, kind of the center of pressure, right? Between your feet, between the heel of the foot and the ball uh, of the foot in the middle of the foot. If you're there, if you're evenly split, you're where you want to be. And do me a favor. I want you to... On your next run, today or tomorrow, whatever it is, I want you to go for a run and every maybe, let's say, half mile, I want you to stop for just three seconds. Don't worry about your heart rate. Stop for three seconds and just check in and notice, gee, am I still in the same position or do I feel my weight more in the heel or more towards the ball of the foot? Okay. And just ask yourself that question and do this for every half mile of your three or four mile run or your long run, whatever it's going to be, because the more you check in on this and pay attention to it, the more it becomes habit and the more you'll actually maintain this. Now, 
if you're somebody who I did, gave that little balance test right now, you felt weight more in the heels, which the vast majority of people feel. I want you to do this little test with me. I want you to take your, if you're still standing up, I want you to take your right hand and I want you to put this in your belly button. I want you to put your left hand on your chest. And what I want you to do for me is I want to keep the belly button exactly where it is. And I want you to drop your upper hand and your chest down in front. So you're kind of just bending your rib cage forward slightly, only to the point where you feel weight equalized between the ball of the foot and the heels. And once you find yourself there, I want you to now take your hands down and I want you to point your palms, so they're now alongside of your body, and point your palms forward. And what this does, it opens up your shoulder blades, lets them lie flattened down along your back. And now I want you to stand on one leg. And now I want you to feel that you actually have that weight evenly split between the heel and the ball of the foot, and that you've got your shoulder blades lying flat and relaxed. Swing your arms like you're running, take a step, okay? And I want you to put that muscle memory in your head because this is such a powerful tool. It's not an extra exercise. It's not something that takes a half hour a day. It's just a simple little check-in you can do to make sure you are in the best position. Because if you can feel this and find this, it becomes home, right? And then, you know, on that track workout where you, you got, you know, you're in there six rep out of eight and you're, you know, you're feeling pretty, pretty worked over. I want to put the best quality position into that, that next effort, right? Uh, if you're on a long run and you're at mile, you know, let's say 14 of your 18 mile run and you notice yourself getting kind of sloppy, do this quick check-in. Stop for, you know, three seconds, check in your position. I guarantee you, most of you, as you get tired, you do shift back or shift forward, right? It's a great kind of check-in to make sure that you're putting good position and good habits into every workout. This is really interesting, Jay. And I found myself standing up at my desk here trying to do some of this. And <laughs> I, I'm not going to be able to, to talk with you and do that at the same time. So I will be listening to this one again. Um, you know, you talked earlier about your best postural position. And, and I think that's an interesting and really critical distinction because not all of us are going to have the exact same posture. You know, we're not all going to have the exact same positions of our body. So how do we even know, you know, what our best posture is for us? A hundred percent. And that, that's why I love this little standing test. I got it people through, uh, because it lets you feel where you are. I mean, the, the thing that I, you know, I love the internet trolls who say, Oh, this person's got more arch or low, less arch and a low back. And this person's fast and slow. So this one's better. I mean, that doesn't hold up. Okay. Um, some people have more of a curve in their low back and mid back, and some people have less. And that's a structural change. And you're not going to have a huge impact on that. Um, and, and likewise, this is maybe a little tangential, but I want to put this in there. Um, there are so many people out there who always talk about when you train your core about flattening the back down to the ground and kind of tucking the pelvis underneath you to achieve a flat back. Um, there's nothing wrong with doing that if your goal is to improve your lower abdominal activation, but tilting the pelvis backwards as you run uh, is not only not encouraged, it's actually going to be a huge detriment to your form. So um, that's why I always cue athletes for – decades I've cued, you know, where the upper body is, right? Because if you're somebody who tries to just tuck the pelvis uh, underneath, you kind of flatten the back or tuck the pelvis, um, you know, what I call, imagine your pelvis is a cereal bowl, right? So if you kind of get your cereal bowl beneath you, uh, you don't want it to, uh, to spill the cereal forward, right? Which is called an anterior pelvic tilt. And you also want to tuck it backwards in what's called a posterior pelvic tilt. You want to just maintain where that is. So if you stand, you find yourself in a comfortable pelvic position, maintain that, right? That's what you want to think about. Don't worry about adjusting your pelvis beyond there. 
When we talk about finding your better position, if you just use that trick we talked about as far as letting the, the chest kind of drop down at that lead hand, right? That's a way to kind of feel that balanced position centered over your feet. And if you go that route versus trying to match the position of your training partner or your friend or your spouse or whatever, that's going to give you much, much, much better, you know, again, position awareness, right? This, this word I always talk about proprioception is the ability to feel where your body is. And I think that, you know, most of us were in running as a volume centric sport, right? We always talk about how far did you run? You know, it's all we care about. What was your time? Right. It, all the quality stuff that goes into those those metrics, that's what I care about. And that's what I try to make my mission to really help people achieve what they can. And that comes into just paying attention with how you're, uh, you know, what you feel. So Jay, it sounds like the positions that we want to put ourselves in, they are both unique to our own individual bodies and our anatomy, but also, you know, how do we actually uh, uh, do this? I, I understand there's this great drill that you've just described, but you know, are there ways of, of checking in during a run that, that you mentioned? Or, you know, in other words, uh, what training strategies or interventions can we do in our training to reinforce this good posture, this, you know, individually good posture for us? A hundred percent. So, you know, I, I have, I have a slide I teach with, right. That I just, I just love it sums up the problem. You know, the, this isn't posture awareness is not a running problem, right? What happens is most of us are spent all day long, you know, standing in horrible positions. Uh, you know, we kind of just kind of lock one knee and kind of slump to the side with our back arched. We tend to sit in desk chairs most of our days. Uh, most of the people I know standing desks are a huge wave right now. And I always crack up because people standing tend to lock their knees and, you know, extend their hips and kind of slouch in their low backs. It's like we're practicing bad positions all the time, right? Uh, you know, this year is a little bit different with COVID, but, you know, kids from early age have backpacks that weigh half as much as they do, um, you know, which force them into an arch back position as well. And so what happens is when you see, you know, somebody in bad alignment running, what all you're seeing is a manifestation of everything we practice for, you know, 23 and a half hours a day. And when you put your running shoes on, you shouldn't expect yourself to suddenly transform into this like godlike creature, right? I mean, that just doesn't happen. So, the goal is, you know, if you can make yourself more aware of your position when you're walking, when you're standing, when you're cooking, when you're just, you know, if you're doing any uh, type of strength work, right? I mean, don't let posture be this little fine detail. It's not a detail. It's actually a huge aspect of how I perform. Uh, I, I've got research to show that, you know, you, you can basically knock off four to 8% in terms of uh, efficiency just by changing the way you're maintaining your, your posture alignment. So, you know, if I said, Hey, does everybody want an extra, you know, bo boost on your running economy? You know, people are running in droves to buy these, you know, Nike 4% shoes. Well, guess what? You can do it just by maintaining better position awareness. So, um, it all comes down to paying attention to your position. So, that little check-in I, I showed, I shared with you is very important, and I'll, I'll be happy to afford you a, a video link of this test too. It's really simple to do, but I, yeah, I encourage people to practice that in the show notes, Jay, if that's possible. That, yeah, definitely. Um, it, it's it's a great check-in, right? So that's number one. Number two, you know, if you're doing any type of standing balance exercise, right, anything at all, you know, one of the things I always see is people like standing on one leg. People love to stand on one leg. What they do is they lock their knee out. They get on one leg and they let their pelvis kind of shift and collapse to one side, right? And yeah, you're balancing, but that's not very active, right? That's not very controlled quality position. So, you know, use a mirror, right? So when you're doing single leg work, if you need, if you need 
or if you, I should say, if you don't have the ability to sense where you are in terms of your your uh, your hip and pelvic position, look at yourself, right? Just you should maintain a nice level pelvis, right? And so that is going to demand a little bit of work from your hip musculature. That's good. We want it to happen, right? And we want to sync that with your core, right? So if you think about that, you know, again, getting out of that back seat or arch position and drop the chest slightly, right? Just enough to where you feel that weight on the middle part of the foot. Uh, it's going to basically align yourself again in the best position for you. Oh, I love it. Now, do this, some of these, um, you know, does a better postural position, does that require more skill or thought or strength? Because I'm kind of thinking of, you know, the old advice for runners to have a forward lean in their training and in their running form rather. And a lot of runners lean forward from the waist, which is not really how this should work at all. They should be leaning from the ankles. Now, exactly. leaning from the ankles, kind of requires some good strength. You know, you can't just take someone off the couch and, and get them in that position most of the time because it requires a certain amount of athleticism. Is, is this something that is going to be gradual that we have to learn while we're getting stronger, while we're developing our capacity as runners? So, wow, Jason, uh, great question. So much wrapped up in there. <laughs> okay, so let, let's break this down a little bit in a, a few different terms, right? So one of the things that, you need to be able to do as an athlete, right? You need to be able to move your hips independently of your spine. That is, I can't emphasize how important this is. And over 20 years of clinical practice and lots of research I've done in my lab, the, one of the biggest problems I see is that when you ask not just a runner, anybody to move their hip, they move their hip and their pelvis and their low back, right? We ask them to do one thing and they move three joints, Right. That's not what we're trying to do. You don't have a single muscle in your low back that connects to your or, or your extensors, right? That must push your leg behind you. Uh, you don't have a single muscle in your low back that extends your hip. You have one that flexes it. That's your hip flexor. But um, but that doesn't, you know, you look at anatomy, you don't, you shouldn't be arching your back when you're trying to extend your hip. And so many of your athletes have a really hard time with this. So when you said, you know, what should we be practicing and skills to be aware of? A lot of people need to work on this skill, right? So, I mean, if you're doing, let's say a, uh, so people have probably done uh, bird dogs, right? You're on all fours and you're looking to uh, extend one leg back behind you and extend one arm, the opposite arm in front of you, right? So this is exercise lots of people have done before. Most people who do this exercise, when they extend one leg behind them and extend the opposite arm up, what do they do? They arch their back as well, okay? And we want to tease that pattern out of things, so one simple key you could do here, right? Those of you who have one of those kind of uh, the half foam rollers, not, not the, the three foot long ones, but the 18 inch rollers, a great little tip you can do, try this, take your little 18 inch foam roller and stick it vertically, right? So it's up and down. And I want you to basically get on all fours and put the roller so it's just basically underneath your breastbone, your sternum, right? And do that same little bird dog exercise again. And if you feel just a little bit of pressure from the roller kind of touching your chest, it's fine. But as you try and extend your leg back behind you and your arm in front of you, if you feel increased pressure on that roller, that's a sign that you're arching your back and letting your chest drop as you should be extending your hip, right? So you need to learn the idea of where does that motion come from? Is it coming from my hip or is it coming from my low back, right? So little things like that make a big difference. And when you think about, okay, well, that's an easy drill. Sure it is, but it lets people feel what they're doing, right? And if you can feel that in kind of simple exercises, then we take it up into more advanced drills, right? So let's say you're doing your A skips and C skips, right? Uh, you know, learners love to do those as, as warm up drills. And if you start to take good habits in those drills, 
you have a lot of bang for your buck. But if you're still letting your back overly arch and extend as you're doing a drill, that's not going to give you the best bang for your buck in terms of actually you know helping you. So I just want to make sure that you know, I always tell folks if I, everybody wants you doing things that are constructive, right? My goal is not to give you extra homework. That's not why I'm here. My goal is to make sure you can hit your goals, right? Whether it's to continue for longevity, to get a new PR, to increase your distance, whatever it may be. But the more, you know, quality uh, approach you put into everything you're doing, the more you're going to get out of an exercise. So would I be right in assuming, Jay, that the the form and technique of when you're doing a lot of these warm-up exercises, when you're doing a lot of these rehabilitative strength exercises and drills as well, is just absolutely critical. And if you're not doing them in the proper form, you're getting less than half the benefits. A hundred percent. I mean, and, and I would say this, I'd say two things happen here, right? So if you don't think about uh, about your form during exercises, you are a not building good muscle memory. Uh, which which needs to transfer into your running. Remember, that's why we're having this conversation, right? Not just to get you good at exercise. I want to have you have a better experience running. That's one thing. And then two, um, and this is one of the things that I love. You know, you hear people say, "Oh, I don't do this other stuff because it hurt me." Well, likely what you did wasn't the problem. The way you performed it was the problem. So you know, I, we asked you to do this one thing, and what you did was arch your back every time, which stressed your back, and that's why your back started hurting, right? So we want to make sure that we're really paying attention to form. Uh, you know, what? when I teach exercises and other people teach exercises, pay attention to the captions, right? I mean, the, I always tell people the details do matter. Uh, I know we live in a world where everybody wants the one exercise f- to help you, and 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 certainly things don't have to be complicated. Things can be really simple, uh, but you want to make sure you're doing them well and doing them correctly. And again, those poor postural habits we carry into our life really affect uh, our success and what we're doing. Jay, I'm starting to think that we could probably do a whole podcast on postural control here, but let's <laughs> move on to rotational stability because this is one. Uh, I, I and, and I haven't gone into depth in your book on these, uh, so I'm, I'm actually a little bit encouraged by that. I, I almost want to be a little ignorant so that I can ask uh, some simple questions. What is rotational stability in your mind? Yeah, so here's the thing that just to re- keep us real simple. Obviously, we run forward, right? And your body's moving forward. But when you look at the stresses that your body sees, right? When So pretend you had a little like work crew in your foot and ankle, one crew in your knee, one crew in your hip, one crew in your spine, right? That's doing all the work behind the scenes to make sure you run well, right? Those, if you break those, uh, the, the, the loads around every joint in terms of front to back load, right? Uh, side to side load, rotational load. Those joints have a lot of rotational demand, especially around the foot and ankle, and the hip and the spine, right? And so there's this thing called the free moment, which we don't want to get over biomechanical, but there's this rotational load that we can measure through every joint. Uh, and, and one of the things we see is we look at athletes who are durable and perform well and control their body to stabilize things. Um, they do a good job of controlling their, those rotational forces, right? And so a lot of people say, oh, well, okay, I'll do strength work. I'll do deadlifts and I'll do some squats and I'll do some you know, burpees or whatever, right? You know, those are all great exercises, but those don't train the rotational stabilization. And so those of you, most runners have probably seen a picture of themselves coming across a finish line where, you know, your knees kind of dive into one side, your hips are dropped. And so people think, oh, I want to work on, you know, my lateral hip strength. And 
sure, that has a place too, right? But what we see as two-dimensional problems where your knee dives in, right? Your, your, your theme or your thigh didn't cross over your body 25 degrees. That doesn't happen when we run, right? What happens is it rotates inward. And it visually, if you look at a flat picture of yourself, it looks like your knee is actually what we call adducted or crossed over. But in reality, it's a rotational twist that dives in, right? And so how do you control a rotational twist? Well, your muscles in your hips, right, rotate you back out. And muscles in the, in the feet actually help rotate you back square as well. And then muscles in our torso have to counter-rotate in relation to that to maintain our forward momentum. So the idea here is if you can master, you know, I always tell people, your job as an athlete is to steer your parts. I actually use that in my hashtag in a bunch of my posts I put up. You know, it's like you have to be able to steer your body. I know you're running forward, but those rotational forces are trying to collapse your hips and your pelvis. They're trying to put your spine in a bad position. They're trying to collapse your foot and ankle, right? And if you show up, you know, not every single day for five hours a day, but if you show up and you have in your training program, uh, you know, work to improve the rotational control of your body, then guess what your body does? It learns how to do that from a neuromuscular uh, aspect, right? We learn and we think and we feel positions and we actually build tissue capacity, right? Muscle strength to hold us in better position. Again, not just for mile one, but for mile 26.2 or an ultra, whatever, you know, whatever your goals are, we have to make sure we show up ready for our sport. So Jay, I want to run a theory by you and, and get your thoughts on it. I just thought of this. A lot of what we've been talking about is you know, not necessarily something you can gain just by doing some exercises. You really have to feel it. You have to kind of intuitively understand it, feel it, and and become one with your body almost. And I remember when I was training in college and, and running kind of the best times of my life, you know, at the peak of my running career, and all those hard workouts and all those races and all those long runs, I specifically remember times where my brain was so focused on keeping myself together during those times of high stress. And it took a lot of mental focus to, to maintain good form because I was just experiencing so much fatigue and soreness and, you know, everything that goes into a, a race or a really hard workout. Is that necessary for this process? Must we put ourselves in stressful situations almost to force ourselves to, you know, feel our body going outside of that normal, you know, we're not steering ourselves properly, right? Just like you said, do we have to do that to feel ourselves going outside of that normal range so that we can then, you know, learn from that mistake and really ingrain those proper movements into our, you know, brain and muscles? Yeah. So I, I think that is a great you know, great point. I would say there's a time and a place for everything. Uh, in in the opening, in the foreword of Running Rewired, I make very clear that, you know, when you're looking at your final quarter mile of your 10K, it's not the time to think about, gee, am I in the right position? You know, am I paying attention to my form? You know, you should have built those muscle memory habits a long time ago, right? But, you know, I think that one of the big things is if you're consistent, right? And so let's just take a, a tiny little tangent real quick. When you look at, let's say you've never worked out in your entire life, Okay. Um, you've never lifted a weight and you walk in and you're going to go bench press, right? And let's say your first day of bench press, you do 85 pounds and that's great. And so, you know, you go work out two days a week for the next four weeks, right? And I see you a month later and I say, Hey, how's it going, Jason? How's your workouts going? You're like, Oh, it's great. I'm actually up to 135. I got stronger. I'm going to say, actually, Jason, you didn't get stronger. 
and you're going to go, no, you're not that smart. I just told you <laughs> I was doing 85 pounds. Now I'm at 135. I got 50 pounds stronger. And I'm going to say, well, Jason, actually what happened is you had neuromuscular changes. Your body figured out how to utilize the strength that you have in a more efficient manner to push the barbell, right? So when you look at how we adapt to loads, the first you know, six to eight weeks of a program have nothing to do with strength. It all has to do with rewiring. We call this, you know, the fancy word is called neuroplasticity, right? But we do a better job of recruiting the strength that we have. That's a neuromuscular change. And so those, my point in, in this little tangent is to say that you don't need to become stronger. You need to become more aware, right? And when you become more aware, when you're doing your dead, your dead bugs, and when you're doing your bird dogs, and when you're doing your whatever other core exercises you do, right? When you're paying attention at posture alignment, and then you put that into your squats, you notice, wow, you know what? I am getting stronger. And when I load the bar up my last, you know, three reps of, of this set, I notice I let my pelvis collapse and my back arch. You know, that's not the goal, right? I mean, I always tell people as running athletes, we're not lifting for CrossFit competition, right? Your goal isn't to just, you know, move a, a bar. Your goal is to put good technique into moving that bar. Because if you can master the technique, then you master the skill. And when you master the skill, then you hit the nail on the head. What you said, then it becomes part of the way you move. I love it. That's a win, win, win. So do we train rotational stability in this way by, you know, doing all the things we should be doing in our training from core work to strength exercises to hard uh, workouts, hill workouts and, and drills, but really just being mindful of our body positions and ensuring that we're using proper technique? Hundred percent, yeah. I mean, you you should be. You know, again, I mentioned that my hashtag. If, if I could, one hashtag I'd love to put in everybody's brain is called steer your parts, right? So, you know, if you can think about that in terms of what are you doing, not every day, right? But if you're doing some stability work and core, when I say stability work, it's not just for core, but you know, your whole body. What are you doing to learn and feel and build better control of your foot and ankle, your hips, and your spine, right? That's mandatory. And I'm going to say something else, which will blow most listeners' minds. What are you doing in terms of your shoulder position, right? Because I can tell you that a lot of the problems we see in terms of postural control and yes, rotational problems, when we allow our shoulders to kind of slump forward, what happens is we shift the way we actually twist, right? And so when you shift the way you twist, that impacts the loads to your hip and your, yes, even your foot and ankle. So um, we want to make sure that we're having those aspects into our preparation, right? I mean, if, if you put, if, if you train it, you learn it, right? And so, um, you know, most runners say, oh, I do a push up, you know, once a year and that's about it from upper body. And you know, your, your scapula position has a huge influence of that rotational line through our bodies. Um, it, it, it's just so critical. All right, let's move on to hip dominance. This is uh, an interesting one to me. How do you mean dominance in this way? Yeah, so if you when you tell someone to squat down, right, most people have what's called a quad dominant squat. Okay, and a quad dominant squat, let me be clear about this. When you squat down, if you're doing a perfect squat, you're splitting the load between mostly your hip muscles and your knee muscles. Okay, um, your knees go forward, your hips go back when you squat down. That's what should happen. Most runners, and if and those of you who have heard the, you know, the, I'm not going to say I like this or not, but lots of people say that, you know, your glutes aren't firing, right? That's the, it's the, the, the big buzzword people talk about these days. Um, your muscles work, okay? You're not weak. 
But we talk about how do you move, right? When you move, you should have some you know, muscular activation to A, stabilize, and B, drive you forward, right? And so most folks, when they, when they squat down, they tend to be very quad dominant, right? And so quads are awesome muscles, right? They extend your knee and they flex your hip. They're great. They don't do anything to control rotation. They don't do anything to help you uh, think about um, you know, position sense, right? They're just more driver muscles. They're not actually stabilizer muscles. Uh, and we look at that drive component as far as pushing you forward. Your hip muscles can exert much better leverage than your knee muscles can. So, you know, a lot of runners, when I say come in and, you know, show me, I'll, I'll put them through some tests, right, to look at hip muscle recruitment, most of them fail miserably. And it's not the fact that you're weak. It's the fact that when I ask you to move, you default to big movers like your quads and your hamstrings, and you don't know how to get into that hip and core and, and uh, that uh, that hip complex. And your hip complex is very, very, very intimately tied to your core function, right? So you know, we just talk about core function. You know, I don't care about your six pack. I care about how well you stabilize your spine. And so if you envision your body as a bucket, right? So buckets have sides. That's your core, right? But guess what? Buckets have they have a bottom. Right. And so the bottom of your bucket is your hip muscle complex. And so if you train the core and the hip very well together, then you build a nice, solid, robust, you know, foundation. Right. But if you don't train the hip muscles properly, you've got a big leaky bucket. Right. And so, uh, you, yeah, that's not going to yield optimal gains in terms of how we, uh, we, we stabilize and move our bodies. So Jay, what kind of hip exercises do you think are really beneficial for this? Yeah, so I think a few things, right? So one is uh, I love doing what what I call um, I just call it the pigeon hip extension. So um, and this is something you can try. It's super simple, takes no equipment. I want everybody to uh, lie down on the ground, okay, on all fours, and then uh, those of you who've done yoga before get into it's called a pigeon hip stretch position, right? We're not doing this for a stretch. And those of you who are super flexible, don't worry about going super low. It doesn't matter. But that leg that's kind of bent up underneath your body is there for one reason. It's to lock your your spine out so that you don't tend to move through your back, right? That's, that's the only reason we're in this position. So with your toes on the ground, they don't leave the ground, I want you to pretend you have a quarter in your butt cheeks. And I want you to squeeze the quarter tightly. So your butt's active, and then I want you to extend that leg behind you straight up off the ground. So knee comes up off the floor, toes still stay on the ground, and then keep the glutes engaged and let the knee lower back down to the ground without losing contraction of the, of the glutes, right? Most people will look at me like I am smoking crack when I ask them to do this because they just don't have the coordination built in, right? And so... I was telling people, before you want to throw a bunch of load at your body, you want to figure out how to feel better motion, right? And feel better movement. So it's important to build patterns like this, okay? Um, then we can go up into uh, some other simple, simple thing to do, right? So I'll give you a variation of a bridge. So now lie on your back. So your feet are flat on the floor. Let's, let's for our purposes right now, I'll say keep your right foot in the ground. Take your left knee and bring it all the way up to your chest. I want you to bend that knee as tight as you can to your chest. And I want you to hug that knee very tightly to your chest. And now I want you to squeeze the right glute, right? Because your right foot's on the floor. And I want you to push your hips up to the sky with the right hip, right? And so the reason why that left leg is there to keep you, what most of you want to do is you extend and drive your right hip. You're wanting to let that left leg also extend back and lose that contact into your chest because you're trying to move through your low back, right? So we're trying to say, no, let's give you cues to make sure you're moving through the hip muscles, right? If you get that and build that connection between moving from the hips versus moving through your back, right? 
are moving from you're trying to use again hamstrings and quads right you learn to kind of feel these better uh, recruitment in terms of you know training the hips with the core and then again once we build a pattern there you don't have to do these exercises forever once you get the idea then we talk about okay now let's add a rotational control on top of this so one of the little exercises I've used for decades is called rotisserie chicken, right? It's basically you get into that bridge position we started in, but let's say that right leg's still on the ground, left leg goes uh, basically straight. They're in a single leg bridge position. Put your hands on your pelvis, and I want you to now steer your hips to the left so that basically the pelvis would drop down to the left and steer your hips to the right. So the, the left side of the pelvis comes up and over to the right side, right? And I want you to work on that spiral. So you can imagine you have a rotational, like a skewer, right? Going through your right hip and you're spinning around that spiral. So now we're training hip extension and we're training postural control and we're training rotation in one move, right? I don't start there if you fail the, Brit, the pigeon test and can't even get your glute muscles to contract. So we're always working on building that control. And once you build control, we're trying to find, okay, what do we want to do to maintain some awareness? Sure. But then how can I ultimately take those skills you're learning from doing basic things and put them into more advanced moves? How do you take those advanced moves, you know, some of these exercises that require a lot of control, you know, some of the ones that you get to, you know, in, in tier two or tier three of the progression of exercises, and then translate that into your actual running form? Is it something that kind of just happens by itself or, or there are some cues that you would might recommend? Sure. So uh, a few things, right? So um, so but you asked kind of two questions. One in terms of how do you progress into form? Uh, I only progress people in terms of exercise difficulty when they pass, right? So um, if you're somebody who's like, yeah, yeah, I get it. I'm like, do me a favor. Just show me, right? Just don't throw about words. Show me you can hold yourself in good position. Show me you can demonstrate this well. If they do, okay, great. We're ready to drop on move to phase two, right? So, and then we go to phase two and I'm like, just using the same cues we, we talked about before, right? Can you move your hips without cheating your back position, right? Yes. Great. We've got permission to do this. You want to add load now? Great. Let's add load. You want to make this into a plyometric? Great. I'm okay with doing this. But if I start to add weight or add speed, right? So that's how we talk about plyometrics and your form falls apart. Guess what? We regress. Okay, I never want to put uh, someone in a position where they're practicing bad form in an exercise. That doesn't, you know, again, you don't get the benefit and you can also wind up hurting yourself. So that's one thing. Um, in terms of the, uh, the progression to, or the integration into running, uh, for certain, right? So number one, it, I hate to go back to that posture thing we did before, but that's so critical, right? Because as you get tired, if you're going to start shifting yourself into the backseat as you run, you're not going to be able to fire your hip muscles as well. So uh, that that posture aspect is really critical. One of the most helpful things I think about uh, is we don't run with our arms, obviously, but it, but uh, your arm swing has a huge uh, impact on uh, what uh, load goes to knee or hip muscles. Okay, so uh, here's a little thing you can do. Um, pretend you are doing a track workout, okay, and your buddy is basically half-stepping you, right? They're right behind you and right to the side of you. I want you to imagine you're going to take your elbow and just jab them, go right into their chest, okay? That's how your arm swing should feel as you run. Your hand is going to be in front of your body, sure, but your elbows should move more back behind you as opposed to elbows out in front of you. And here's why. When you allow your elbow to move in front of the midline of your body, and, and let me let me back up real quick. If you're running a, you know, a four-minute mile, this changes a little bit because your stride gets pretty long. But let's say if you're running a five-minute mile or under, excuse me, five-minute mile or over, 
your elbow really should not break the plane of your torso if you look at your body from the side. Okay. And so if you're going to have an arm swing, which lets your arm, your elbow come in front of your body on your left, right? So left elbow is in front of my body. It's going to cue your right foot to contact further in front of your body because of that rotational stuff we talked about. Okay. If you bring your elbow back, so it's still going to swing front to back. Okay. But it's not going to go as far forward each stride. If that elbow tends to stay more back behind you as it swings, your right foot will naturally contact closer to your body, okay? And depending on what research article you look at, knee pain is always in the top three. It's usually a top one running injury, right? So um, if uh, you're trying to decrease the, the load of the knee, if you just think about your elbow swing, they'll naturally cue a contact closer to your body, kind of like cadence does, right? We, we've talked about cadence over the, over the years, right? This is a great way to, if you're an overstrider, if you increase your cadence, you don't have time to stride that far out in front of you. So cueing your body uh, through, through a more rapid turnover decreases load the knee. And that's great. Uh, but again, 180 isn't the answer for everyone by any means. And so even when you're running slow, okay, you can still think about landing as close to your body as you can. And that elbow swing back behind you really cues this well, right? So I always tell people, think about an elbow jab, right? You want that elbows to be back behind you, okay, as you're running as opposed to reaching far forward. Um, in running rewired, I have a great picture of this drill done up against the wall, right? So you basically get literally staying right with your nose on the wall. Okay. And if you make your, your hands into two fists, you can't swing them forward, right? You can always swing them back behind you. So if you want to, before you put your shoes on, or as you put your shoes on next time for your run, stand up and face your car, a tree, a wall, wherever you have in front of you, and just swing them back and forth for just, you know, five, 10 seconds and just, let that click in your head that you want to make sure that arm swing comes from elbow drive behind you versus reaching forward with the hands. Um, so that, that's a really helpful one I like. And then the other one I think is, is just, uh, you know, people talk about where the, the knee should go. Um, and this is, you know, if, again, we going back to my example before, if you've seen that picture of yeah, um, your knee collapsed to the inside, you know, the answer to that is not just to widen your stance, right? You don't want to uh, run like a toddler with your feet wide. You want to be able to rotate uh, the leg back straight again. And again, that's – so those of you who do tend to do this as you run, I always tell people pretend your uh, kneecaps with two flashlights. Your uh, left flashlight's blue. Your uh, – excuse me <laughs> – your left kneecap is a, is a blue flashlight and your right kneecap is a yellow flashlight. Don't cross your beams and make green, right? So you want to think about keeping those two colors uh, uh, shining forward versus colliding and, and, um, and intersecting. Yeah, I love how practical this is. And, and I feel like I'm going to have to go running with my own podcast episode playing in my ears. <laughs> A lot of these drills and, and cues and, and ideas in my form. Um, Let's move on to individual skeletal alignment. This is actually one that I don't know at all what <laughs> what this might mean. So how is this important for injury prevention and staying healthy? I'm sure that every single listener to this episode has heard someone say at one point in time, your feet should point straight as you run. Mine don't. I, good. <laughs> okay. So, so here is, this is like, I would say not only is this, is that, advice not helpful, I would tell you it actually creates a lot of pain in runners, especially knee pain. Okay, so let's think about this for a second. This is, this is one of the things that's kind of hard to talk about. Pictures do, you know, pictures are great here, but we can do this pretty well in audio, right? So when your hips come out of your pelvis, right, there's an angle to them in terms of in, out, and also in terms of rotation. 
And your shins also have different amounts of rotation. You can be twisted out or twisted in, right? So let's just say this. Let's say you happen to have someone who's got a neutral hip and a neutral shin alignment, okay? If that's you, not to say it's good or bad, but if it's you, if your structure, right, your body structure is such that you have neutral hips and neutral shins, then yes, your knees and your feet should point forward as you run because that's the way you're mechanically and anatomically aligned, right? But let's say you're not that person. Let's say what I see a lot of time is you actually have a neutral hip, but your shins have some external twist. We call this external tibial torsion. Don't worry about that. But you have some external twist in your shins. And so when you stand up and you put yourself in your body's normal alignment, guess what? Your knees are going to point forward and your feet are going to point out. And that's just you. And if I told that person, hey, you know what? You have to run with your feet forward. What do you think is going to happen? Well, we can't change. I can't take a hammer and smash your leg and break it and like realign it, right? I mean, what's going to happen is if you point your feet straight, it's going to force your knees to twist in. And remember, we just talked about that cue about the knees should basically point straight, right? So I have my red, uh, excuse me, my, my uh, yellow and blue flashlight beams not crossing. If you force your feet straight, your knees are going to make yellow beams, excuse me, uh, green beams, right? So we want to make sure that we're taking into account our body's natural anatomical variants. Like we said before at the posture, no two people are the same, right? And so it's a really easy test to do. It's called, a, this is a proposed years ago by a guy named Craig, and he called it Craig's test. Uh, he does it, you know, it's way you're lying in your belly. I just modified it a little bit and you can do it yourself just laying down. You just lay down your back and you palpate what's called your trochanter on the side of your pelvis, excuse me, side of your hip, and you rotate your hip in and out and you feel the point where your trochanter is most lateral or kind of pressing out into your fingers. Um, and again, this is something you kind of need to see visually to find this landmark for those of you who haven't seen it, but, uh, it takes, you know, 10 seconds to find out where your hip position should be. And once you put that in position, you just look down and look where your foot's pointing. And that tells you your anatomical alignment it takes again, 10 seconds, it's really simple. But if you try and say again, one size fits all, uh, you have a bunch of people with clothes that don't fit very well. Right. So, um, <laughs> you want to make sure that you're taking into account your body, right? And so if you maintain respect to your alignment, your joints work well, right? When you force your joints to track their alignment, they can't, you wind up overloading those joints. I cannot possibly count the number of adolescent runners I've had come in uh, with knee pain. And all I did was say, hey, you know what? Your body is shaped in such a way that your feet aren't going to point totally straight as you run. And do me a favor, let them run, you know, point it out 15, 20 degrees and never, you know, fails. They'll come back. Knee pain's gone, right? Like you didn't get stronger. You didn't do any drill. You, all you did was let your body point the way it should and you decrease stress on joints. It's really simple, right? So, um, you know, that, that's one thing. Um, here's another example I'll give you. So uh, some people uh, have that kind of a bow-legged alignment, right? The knees go out. And again, when we look at this in two dimensions, we think the knees go out. That's not really what's happening. Really what's happening is you've got a rotational external twist in your thighs, right? So that rotational twist uh, changes the alignment of the way that your, your bones are kind of uh, congruent, right? And so as you squat, run, step, go up and down stairs, ride a bike, whatever you're doing, right? Your knee is going to track out more than the average person. There's nothing wrong with you. It's just your anatomical variance. Great. Respect it. Maintain it. You're going to be fine, right? But but if you said, oh, you know, your knees are pointing too far out, you just squat down, you should put them forward, that can't work for that person, right? So there is some variation in the way we move based upon our bodies. And if you respect that, you're going to be great. 
Well, this is very personally helpful for me, Jay, because, you know, I have that issue where I think I have in some extra shin rotation, where if my knees are pointing straight ahead, if my blue and yellow flashlight beams are not creating green, then a little bit more on my right foot than my left, but it is pointing out a little bit. And I've certainly had coaches and and other running friends tell me, oh, you got to get that leg in, you know, that foot more parallel with the other foot. And I just can't do it because then my knee is all messed up and and I've always just kind of ignored that and and that's probably to my to my benefit. Totally. So let me keep this really simple. If you imagine you a door in your house, right? You can take the door and it's got a door is solid, right? The frame of the door is solid. It's got hinges. You can open and shut that door 5 times, 5 million times, 5 billion times, right? No worries. If you take that door and you, instead of actually pulling the knob and turning it, imagine if you take your hand on the top of the door and the bottom door and try and torque it, right? You're trying to twist the thing obliquely. Eventually, the door is going to break, the hinges are going to break, or the frame is going to break, right? You're asking it to move in a way that it's not designed to, okay? You're going to overload those parts and break them down prematurely. That's not smart, right? So, you know, we talk about, you know, maintaining your alignment. That's what we're talking about. If you move your body in a way that respects the normal axis of rotation of your body, Joints hold up really well, right? If you try and force them to move in a way they can't, not just shouldn't, but actually can't move, you increase shear stress across the joints. And that's what causes premature uh, irritation and breakdown, right? So uh, put your joints in a better position, train in that way, maintain that position as you run, get healthy joints. This is fascinating because this reminds me, I don't know if it was maybe a year ago or so, there was a picture of an elite athlete. They were running on the track winning a race, you know, sprinting, this is a a professional world-class athlete. And, you know, their foot was splayed out to the right. Uh, Their arch was completely flattened and and kind of in that most elongated position. Mm -hmm. And, and there was a lot of, you know, internet commentary about how, how does this person run like this? And, and I got a lot of comfort from the fact that a lot of biomechanics experts weighed in and said, like, look, This guy is running on the curve of a track. Of course, he's experiencing these rotational forces that are going to be very different than if he was running an easy pace on a straightforward section of road. And it's also true that, you know, who cares if if his foot is splayed out a little bit or his arch looks low? You know, this guy has found what works for him and he's built strength around his own individual body alignments. And, and and I feel like that's such a great encapsulation of everything you've just talked about. Yeah, no, it's perfect. And again, it's like, if you, I always tell people, if you've got more motion than the average bear, just prepare your body to control more motion than the average bear, right? I mean, that that's fine too, right? So it, those of you who've got, you know, we always talk about people only move more, move more. Well, there's a bunch of people out there who move too much, right? And they can't control their body. They can get into crazy contorted positions, but once they're there, they're very weak and inefficient in stabilizing their position. And so, you know, those people need a little bit more awareness to control their parts, right? And so, again, you put the time in, and you're fine, right? I mean, your goal is not to be Gumby, right? Your goal is to control your body really, really, really well for every degree of motion that you use for your sport, right? And so again, things are sport specific. When we talk about running, you just have to have enough control to run. You don't need to wrap your leg behind your head. You don't need to be you know, some contortionist, but you have to be able to control your body well in all those positions. And if you can, you're going to show up as a very durable athlete that can you know, show up day in, day out throughout your training. I love that. And the phrase that you just used was control your body. And and I think that is is such a great summary of a lot of the different themes that we've talked about in this conversation. You know, the ability to 
almost neurally control your body in, in a very specific way. And, and some of these movements are, you know, almost, you know, you'll never notice them if you were just looking at someone, you know, they're very minute. And, and I think that comes from purposeful practice. I think it comes from experience. And uh, I, I will also say that your book is really fantastic in giving the, the diagrams and, you know, the, the illustrations and photos to really, uh, you know, lend a lot to this because, you know, like you said, it, it's a little bit difficult in audio. So I certainly recommend everyone pick up, pick up your book. It's been uh, fantastic. Now, Jay, let's wrap up. I, I feel like, my God, I might have to listen to this a couple times and, and take some notes. <laughs> if you were to, from, from our conversation today, if you were to pick out maybe one of the most important lessons or ideas for runners to take home with them, or, or even if it wasn't from this conversation, some other idea that you think is just critical that we might have missed, what might that be? Yeah, I, I would say this. I would say, um, look, I don't want to make this hard, guys. Like, I think there, there is so much noise out there these days with you know the, the five exercises every runner must do or the five stretches you have to do. Like, Let's let's think about this way, right? Um, in my first book, Anatomy for Runners, I talk about train the engine versus train the chassis. Um, so, that you know, when you train your engine, when you go run, you're training your cardiovascular fitness, and that's what you should eat. That's what, that's why we train, right? But that chassis needs to show up stable, right? And so, when you look at you know what am I doing outside of running to make me a better runner, I just want you to do me a favor: think back holistically and really ask yourself the question: What am what's my approach? What am I doing, right? You need to show up, okay, for your body a few days a week in such a way that trains that skill of body awareness and proprioception, right? So I mentioned before, you have to be able to control your feet all, in all three planes. You have to be able to control your hips in all three planes. You have to control your spine in all three planes. And yes, you even have a little bit of rotational control in your knees. Not much, tiny bit, but it's there, okay? And so what are you doing to expose your body to that, to the that, that control, right? You have to put some of that in. It doesn't need to take much time. You could probably get to the point where you're putting in 10 to 15 minutes twice a week, right? Starting out, this may actually take priority over strength training, right? Way more, more priority, right? But once you build that control, then that integrates the things up. And then we get into what I call performance type work where you're putting in load and speed and plyometric work, all those things. They're great. But I find so many people skip that step. I know it's not sexy. I know it's not cool. I know it doesn't make for a great Instagram photo. But if you skip that step, you really wind up in problems long term. And so I, I, I'll tell people, you know, I can talk at you all day long, right? Until you feel something, we don't win, right? So find the tools and, and, and tricks and information and resources like, you know, this podcast, whatever you need to do to make sure you can feel learn position. Because once you do, things become very powerful and you're not thinking about the 10 things I have to do this week. You've already trained that you know, awareness in your mind and you're just finding various ways to make sense of it. So when you're running again, that competitor behind you, you're thinking about how do I crush him? Not, gee, does my form look good, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really what we want, right? We want to crush. We don't necessarily want great form. <laughs> okay, this has been so illuminating for me and and now i can't wait even more to really dive into detail on the topics that are included in your book running rewired um where can we find out more about your work and what you're up to because uh, i really enjoyed your perspectives today 
Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah. So I, um, I post, uh, I've shifted. I actually launched a little company making a foot and, uh, foot and balance stability board called Mobo. Uh, so if you want to uh, look at moboboard.com, you can also find us at mobo.board. Uh, I'm trying to post more of my kind of content on that aspect, on that platform. Um, there's a great resource in there called Thoughts, which on that website, we have a ton of information. And you can also find me on anathletesbody.com. Awesome. I will include links to all of these amazing resources on the Strength Running site. Jay, thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much, Jason. And that's all, folks. I hope you had as much fun listening to this conversation as I did recording it. Jay is one of the foremost injury experts out there, and it was a real treat to learn from his expertise. Before we end the show today, I do have an announcement. Right now, Strength Running has bundled together three of its most popular training programs for one low price. You can see all the details at strengthrunning.com slash bundle. Our theme this year is taking action, and I encourage you to take action and invest in your running today. You can get our best-selling injury prevention for runners, high-performance lifting, and two months of membership to Team Strength Running at a massive discount of 63%. This is the first and maybe last time that I'll be running a sale like this. So I don't want you to miss out because it ends on Sunday, January 24th. Go to strengthrunning.com slash bundle to get in on this great deal. Finally, another big thanks to Inside Tracker for making this show possible. I recently got the ultimate package with a mobile blood draw, and I found out some minor issues with my health that I'm currently addressing right now. You can see what they're all about at insidetracker.com. And if you want to take the leap, use code STRENGTHRUNNING to save 10% on any test that they offer. And what they do is pretty cool. They test over 40 different biomarkers, like different stress hormones, to determine if you're training too hard, too little, or if you have any physiological weaknesses that could potentially be remedied by either diet, exercise, or various lifestyle changes. In other words, you learn about problems that then have actionable solutions. And what I love about Inside Tracker is that they don't just tell you what's wrong, but they also give you a whole bunch of ways of actually improving your results. Inside Tracker uses blood testing to get this information, and then they communicate what you can do to lift or lower your results into your personal optimal range. For any runner who wants every advantage in their training, for those runners who'd like to see what they're truly capable of achieving, I really do recommend Inside Tracker. I've gotten two ultimate tests over the last couple of years myself, and both of those experiences were easy, relatively painless, and quick. Head on over to insidetracker.com to check out all their testing kits, and don't forget, code STRENGTHRUNNING will save you 10% on any test that they have available. Thanks again for being a part of the Strength Running community. Take care, and we'll talk soon.